Welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast by the Timothy Project. Tune in to an intriguing, mind-stimulating podcast where your mind-boggling questions in the Bible are analyzed. Simply breaking down mysteries in the Bible, precept upon precept in the scriptures until we see Jesus. Be blessed as you listen. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are welcome to Between the Lines, the official podcast for the Timothy Project. And this is our third episode. As usual, this is based on our blog post. Our first episode was on, are you a disciple? The second one was on the heart of a disciple. And we started focusing on Ezra. We're done with Ezra in that last post. So go listen to it if you haven't. And today, our focus is on Paul. <laughs> Y'all should have been here when we started. <laughs> I mean, when we were thinking about um, what to focus on for this, this episode, Paul is an interesting character. But one thing I got to know even before we started is that the blog post is one of Uncle Solo's favorites. So he's going to tell us why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> me personally, I like um, the character of Paul. Paul, Paul is an inspiration and mm-hmm. coupled with the fact that I love stories. Um, his, his life seems to be like an adventure that plays out. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a wonderful narrative in the Bible. And he's this time you read Paul going on missionary journeys and he's being beaten by snakes. He's being chased around. People are, are beating him to death. And then <laughs> thereafter just making him seem like a God. Um, Paul being shipwrecked. Like his whole life is such an, an amazing adventure. And the way it is briefly captured in the blog post is, is, is just amazing to me. So that's, I, I think that's the reason why I like that particular post in general. Yeah. I've particularly fallen in love with that post. It's one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Yes. And because of how exciting Paul is or was, I go ahead on myself. We are, we are here with Uncle Solo. <laughs> <laughs> you're not with us last the last episode so yeah. was. and then uh <laughs> rabbi hi guys good to have you again <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all right so now back to the mystery that is paul and he actually spoke about a lot of mysteries in his letters actually but <clears throat> so we call him paul but we know that he's also called Saul. and so here's my question to the rabbis both of them uncle uncle Solo and bethmon when was paul or so you see, I'm confused. When was Saul's name changed to Paul? Um, okay, so um let's let's try to put him in context first, right? Okay. So um, um Saul is his birth name. Um he grew up in um he was born and raised in Tarsus. Tarsus was like the capital of uh, Sicily, which was also within the southeastern Roman province, okay. right? Um he's a Jew. Mm-hmm. born to jewish parents so he is what um you would call a diasporan jew so he's a jew that didn't grow in jerusalem yeah. did not grow so in so he, yes <laughs> <laughs> he grew up outside okay. the the main jew but at some point in time it is believed that paul was sent to jerusalem to go and study under gamaliel yeah right okay. so he went to train to become a rabbi mm. and so in his training um, a, a, a rabbi it's it's a lot of things in one. A rabbi is like a lawyer. He's a minister within the synagogue. Oh, really? He's also like a, a teacher of the law. So everything oh, in one. Mind, you're, yeah. you're you're working church. Yeah. Okay. Of sorts, right? So um, um that's who um uh, Saul was, 
But um, there's this thing notion that goes around that at his conversion, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. Yes, um, yes. Mythbuster alert. That's not really true. This what is that? I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I get, I get, I get that reaction a lot. I but the name Paul was a name given to him by his parents, right? Okay. So um, um, Saul is a typically Jewish name. It's the name of the first king of Israel. And like the first Saul we encounter in the Bible, mm-hmm. this Saul too is also from the tribe of Benjamin. So yeah. somewhere in Philippians 3, when there's contention about yeah. uh, power struggles in the church, Paul, Paul claims who to, hey, I'm, I'm from royal Jewish blood, yeah. right? So he's from the tribe of Benjamin. But be- his father was a Roman citizen, right? And, and, like the custom of that day was for somebody who was not a, a typical um, Roman citizen. He was Jewish by birth and he obtained Roman citizenship because of something his father did. Maybe his father may have bought. At that time, citizenship was either given, conferred at birth or acquired yeah. by some major act or you could buy it, right? Yeah. If you had uh, gained enough money to mm. secure such a a good um, standing. So his father gave him the name Paul for use in the Roman part of the provinces. So when he was among the uh, the Latin speaking part of the empire, the Romans, the typical Romans and the uh, outside of the Jewish people, he was Paul. And the name Paul actually was befitting of his stature. I think that was why he was given the name because Paul means diminutive, short, mm. small. And, and for somebody who could fit into a basket in an escape, <laughs> the name was quite fitting. Well, his character was nothing but short. I yeah. T- I mean, we we'll get there. We we'll get there. So you're trying to tell me and everybody that's listening that our Sunday school teachers lied. Because no, we all we all knew that at some point when Jesus Christ saw, I mean when he when he met Jesus Christ in um on the road to Damascus, after that his his name got changed. Um, his name wasn't changed. He he changed the name the name he used. So here's the thing: whenever we read through the scriptures, Acts chapter nine, Acts okay. twenty three, mm-hmm. um, when Paul is always telling the story of his encounter with Jesus, if you pay close attention, Jesus never calls him Paul. Jesus mm-hmm. always refers to him as Saul. Saul, yeah, right. True. He refers to him as Saul. So. When, whenever Paul recounted, he, he recounted and says Jesus spoke in a Hebrew language saying Saul, Saul. When um, um, Jesus also went to Simon to go and pray for Ananias, he says go to uh, this city to a house of one named uh, Saul, Simon. There is a, an individual there, Saul of Tarsus. He's waiting for you. He has seen you coming to pray for him. So in all of this thing, but when this Saul was changed and he began ministering or preaching the gospel to the gentile communities he started referring to himself as paul and i believe it was quite telling into paul's mind because uh, i think somewhere in first corinthians paul says that i become all things to all men that's by perchance i may win some for christ so even the use of the name paul is a form of identifying with his audience because he was primarily uh, the apostle to the gentiles gentiles are people who are just not jews so Mm. people outside of the jewish community he identifies by using the name they can identify with. Okay. So I think because of that drastic change of name by mm-hmm. he himself, when addressing his letters and addressing the communities to which he was ministering, 
that's where the assumption comes that yeah. oh his name was changed when he was converted yeah i i think that predominantly the reason why we have this um notion of a change in name is because through the course of the bible when we see uh, any man have such a a, i mean an amazing encounter yeah with god and there's a conversion experience usually their name changes so we see abraham change to abraham we see sarah change to sarah we see uh jacob change to israel so i think that pattern is somewhat situated in our minds and when paul when saul has an encounter with jesus then we see that also translating into a name change to paul but this is just occurs to me as we were speaking but one that um at the time i think that the name saul could have posed a lot of evangelical or ministerial problems for saul at the time because if you recall right after he was uh he had an encounter and he went to and he went to damascus mm-hmm. and he spent some time with the believers there when when he st- when he started getting close to some of the believers they did not want to believe that this soul has actually changed this was a man that was persecuting them and was uh breathing fire and brimstone upon them seeking to eliminate them totally from the face of the earth and he was saying that i have guys i have changed and i think that that name saul carries some carries some weight okay so when they hear the name saul they cannot associate good with that name mm-hmm. and so in my mind i don't know how true it is but in my mind i'm thinking that maybe paul preferred now to use the name saul rather preferred to use the name paul to make it easier for him to minister to the people that he had to minister so to. almost like a new identity like a yeah, fresh start exactly um, i guess that's what we also loved to believe and that's how come before you know i think there's some prag there's some pragmatism to such to, a to thinking mm. we don't necessarily have the proof the, the proof of it but it's it's pragmatic so yeah yeah yeah, but let's, yeah let's, I, w- I would have done that too anyway <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to know what would you have changed your name to from from solomon oh, to oh, so long, oh no to, solomon to is too so nice a name it's too nice a name to change <laughs> is that no is that why you changed to soul too oh no <laughs> well there's, a, there's an interesting story behind this too. maybe we'll talk about it another time sure no problem but then back to back to paul and what what uncle solo just said do we think it actually is a problem to have to to have somebody change from being in the world to now being the one who is ministering to Christians because I feel like it happened it happened to Kanye West it it happens to people all the time why do you think yeah. that, that's that's a problem I think that it's it's human nature mm-hmm. and we we humans as we are we have we find it difficult to embrace change yeah. and for you to establish yourself in a certain way and then to come tell us that you have now changed we need proof of that change and so your your word doesn't just cut it but sometimes so, you can never satisfy them really well i think that with with um with the passage of time um we will begin to see that indeed you are who you say you are if if the change has actually occurred and i think that that's that is what happens with a lot of um unbelievers who now become believers mm-hmm. when they when they witness or they provide testimony to their unbelieving friends so they maybe there was a kojo who who used to womanize and to drink and to do all sorts of things um kojo has an encounter with uh, christ and now 
believes in Christ and he shuns doing all those kinds of things. He goes back to his friends and tells them, guys, I've met Christ. Yeah. All these things I used to do, I do them no more. They will not take Kojo's word for it until they begin to see a marked change in Kojo's character and behavior. That is when they will begin to realize that indeed what Kojo is saying, that he has changed. He actually has changed. Yeah. And so, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, Kanye's example. For And people have reached out to me and asked me about, Charlie, this Kanye conversion thing, uh, really, is it genuine? Mm-hmm. And all I tell them is that, hey, if, it, if he has really embraced Christ, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. If you have doubts about whether it is genuine or not, give it time. And it's not even your in your place to tell, is it? Yeah, so just just give it time. And with, with the passage of time, you will know. Yeah. And I think that's the same advice Gamaliel gives to the Sanhedrin when they started persecuting the mm-hmm. disciples. And he tells them that we've had people come up and do these things. True. And they, they garnered a lot of following. All right. But in the in the course of time, they all failed. True. So let's be careful how we treat these guys lest we find ourselves fighting against God. So I think that we should be very circumspect and very measured in the way we relate with and the way we speak about people who we considered to be very evil before and now have us embraced Christ and are trying to walk the walk. Okay. Yeah. I think we should be more accommodating and loving. And if you have doubts, hey, give it time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you'll find out soon enough. Yeah, true. And... I don't know, for me, I've heard it said so many times that the, I mean, Jesus even says this in, in, in a way that the larger your debts that's yes. forgiven, yes. the more your, your commitment, the yes. course of. I was going to refer to that. It's a story in Luke. No, but then I'm, I'm looking at the flip side because mm-hmm. at least for me, I, I understand what that means. That's why I really like Paul because I was not always like church girl, didn't even go to Sunday school, but, but. But I have friends that have been in church their whole, their whole lives. And so they get worried when they hear statements like this. Because then they feel like if my my passion is in direct correlation with how much how much I was forgiven, which which also seems to be I know we've all been forgiven of the same amount of sin, mm-hmm. but um it also seems to be in in direct correlation with what you were in the past. Yes. So if my past was not that bad, my passion will not be that much. Yes. I've struggled yes. with this for a very long time. <laughs> I think I think it is it is um, an understanding and an awareness of the gravity of your sin. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily need to have been in the world to okay. to know that my sin was great, mm-hmm. right? And I think that unfortunately, those who sort of like grew up in church, okay. for want of a better expression, mm-hmm. right? When they get saved, eventually, they begin to feel like they deserved to be saved. Because they've been good all their lives. So they've been good all their lives. So they don't don't view themselves as people who were undeserving of grace. Exactly. But people like Paul, people like... um, I was going to put myself there, but Paul and myself in the same sentence are <laughs> <Yeah>. few sacrilegious. <laughs> Maybe the, the the woman who wiped Jesus' feet. Yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah. But like for for people who have who have um, had a very torrid past, mm. who have had a very eventful lifestyles mm-hmm. before they they became saved, they appreciate better 
what Jesus had done for them. So it's not that they were forgiven of much sin because we all know that sin is equal in the sight of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they have a better appreciation. So I think the problem is has to do with we appreciating what Christ has done. Yeah. Right. Yes. And and if we don't get that part right, it doesn't give us and that that thing I, I I've realized provides sort of like a launch pad exactly for the, for the rest of your 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 journey with god yes uh, for the most part of my my teenagers uh, um so i've been a church boy for a very long time uh and i used to look and with admiration on those guys who you who were at one time in the world yeah and then they get saved and they come into church with so much passion and so much fire mm-hmm. and you're like where are you getting all of this from and you want to be like that but you realize that you don't have that much zest like they yeah. do. And so I used to think maybe it would be better if I backslide, mm-hmm. go into the world, mm-hmm. uh, have do some things and then be saved again. Then maybe, <laughs> then maybe I would have that much passion. But um, as you rightly said, um, in, in the story where Jesus has is goes to a dinner party with, with Simon and then uh, Simon the Pharisee and a woman comes and wipes Jesus' feet with her tears uh, and then with her hair and then breaks an alabaster box of fragrance on his feet. And then they start complaining. And Jesus asks him a question and he tells him a story. He says, um, one person owes 50 denarii, another owes 500 denarii. Um, the, the one that they owe decides to forgive them their debt. Which of these do you think would love him more? Yeah. And then he rightly says that the one who owed more will love Mm -hmm. more because he hasn't forgiven much. And Jesus says, yes, you have rightly answered. He that is forgiven much, loves much. And that statement is true for all of us. Rightly, as Bethman put it, those who have been in the world and are now in Christ have have had some help in appreciating how much they have been forgiven. Mm -hmm. For us who were church boys or church girls, we need to have um how do how do you put it like a an encounter with christ where we we allow him to open our eyes to see the gravity yeah. of what how much we have been forgiven mm-hmm. i see right we don't need to go back we don't need to go into the world to experience stuff and then be born again no but by simply asking the lord can you open my eyes to the gravity of the sin that i have been forgiven yeah. that i may have a, a a better appreciation of what you have done for me you understand True. and sometimes and it sometimes it doesn't happen right away but progressively as you walk with god mm-hmm. you begin to get and as you get to know him and you work with him in relationship yeah. you begin to understand more and more what he has actually done for you and out of that knowledge okay the love blossoms and you become more and more passionate about the things of god okay for some people it, is, it happens just like that pump for others too it's a progressive journey so yeah, whichever one you are, mm-hmm. um, enjoy the journey where you are. If you are if you are passionate, bam, 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 do what you must and what you can. For 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 all you know, that is your lot. Yeah. You understand? For those of the, us who are on sort of a journey of progressive understanding, enjoy that journey. Mm-hmm. Because in that journey too, you will help some other people along the way. So yeah, it's it's like that. True. Mm. And I guess like it doesn't have to be dramatic as well. Exactly. People expect their their transformation to be 
Like it, it, it gotta be on the road of Damascus. There's no one to any other road. <laughs> just, if I don't see some lights, Charlie. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It, it gotta yeah. happen again. Yeah. <laughs> it has to happen again. But 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 it's still it's still all salvation, isn't it? And yeah. Mm. I think um, people just have this knack and a flair for the dramatic. But I think um, let's look at the apostles. There are so many different apostles. Mm-hmm. We have Peter. Peter's conversion. I don't see much drama. You can't say maybe yeah uh, with the way his boat was sinking with the fish and decided and the to follow too. Jesus. I think he was he had some amount of drama. <laughs> but, uh, uh, people like <laughs> the Banab- yeah. <laughs> people like Barnabas who came along the line. We don't hear much drama associated yeah. with their conversion. Philip um, Philip was seventy. Tables. People like you don't Philip. Re- yeah. Don't so really hear. I think um, yes, the dramatic is nice, but. Um, it's, it's not always the case that the best of God's soldiers will be those who came through the dramatic door. And yeah. it's not even a guarantee that you'll be passionate exactly. till the end. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, we've, we've, we've learned that <laughs> you just need an understanding of the fact that we are all indebted to God. Mm-hmm. And for the church boys and girls and the non-church boys and girls, it's the same road and the same path for us. Hmm. That we need to understand that God has has forgiven us of much, and so we need to love much. Yeah. But let's look at Paul, Paul's, Paul's love, or Paul's yeah, Paul's love because he's he's indebted. Well, coupled with his temperament, now and I'm throwing this as Uncle Solomon. Uncle Solomon, what's what's Paul's temperament? <laughs> I, I I believe Paul was choleric. Hmm. Um, what a temperament. <laughs> His his demeanor and the way he gets things done is very consistent with the characteristics of a colleague. Which is a beautiful temperament. Yes, because you are one. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you, you, you see you see Paul being and cholerics are very um I say this reservedly, not not necessarily to for lack of a better word, I think cholerics are very narrow minded in focus and in vision. So once a choleric sets their heart or their mind to do something. Tunnel vision. Tunnel, exactly. Thank you for that word. I think that's a better word. Tunnel vision. Once they set their mind that this is what I want to do, they don't see anything else. And they make sure that everything that they do ensures that they get to their the end goal or the objective. Yeah. And Paul was very much like that. So much so that even he can make statements like and it, you can find it in the post. Uh, maybe we'll get there. Where where he we tell him, Paul, tell him where you are going. You, you are going to die. He said, oh, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Let me die. You understand? And even the way he talks about marriage, almost like I could have done it, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, the time it's, for it's a distraction. Like, like come cool, on. But nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if left to me, don't marry. Like nobody yeah, should marry. You know, like, but <laughs> it's like, do you see the focus? Do you not see? Like, do, yeah. It's right there. How how can you look at other things? Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so that's very choleric in nature, mm-hmm. and and I think that it, it helped him in what God had called him to do. Okay. Uh, you know, God God works within um, as Beton likes to say, God works within our culture. And yeah. I want to believe he gave us our temperament. So he, True. he works with our temperaments too. So, True. yeah. Yo, mm. So, um, back to you, Bethmoon. He's being indebted. How, how is that important for us? Um, I feel like that, like, that became the launch pad for his, mm. um, uh, his, his missionary work. So, we see him going around, founding 
Jesus follower communities, making disciples, mm. sitting back, writing back, following up on all of them. But his indebtedness, I believe, was born out of um, his appreciation of what Christ has done for him. So he was indebted to God because he saw the, the weight of Jesus' sacrifice for him. Readily, um, Galatians 2.20 comes to mind. Mm. I am crucified with Christ, yes. nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself so for me. For me. Yeah. So that's, that's where the motivation stems from. He saw Paul, after his conversion, I believe, like Galatians says, he went to the wilderness of Arabia for some three and a half years. I believe when he was there, he was working things out, like trying to properly situate who Jesus is mm -hmm. within the context of this messianic hope that he had, especially because he was a Pharisee, right? Yeah. And after working everything out, Paul saw that Jesus Christ is God. And for God to come and go through one of these, the most humiliating deaths on the cross, for me, then if God could not hold anything back to come and get me, then I must not hold anything back in my service to him. Okay. So, and that, that, that service to God included, for Paul, service to God's people. Because to love God in Paul's mind was to love the people that God loves. So, if that would mean going to the ends of the world to make sure that somebody hears the gospel, so be it. The interesting thing about the book of Romans, for which we based this particular post on, was that Paul was not the one who founded the church in Rome. Okay. Right? We are not told who some Christian traditions believe that it was Peter who founded the church in Rome. But the part of the entire purpose for the book of Romans was Paul introducing himself to the church and to use the church in Rome as sort of like a missionary base mm. to go further westward towards Spain. Okay. So this is somebody from the eastern part of the Roman Empire, somewhere around Tarsus, yeah. closer to Turkey, yeah. moving further westward. So he's writing to Rome, saying that I wish to come upon to you. But even when I come there, the, I love a certain part of, I think, Romans 16, that he chooses not to labor where others have already labored. Yeah. So for him, it's like everywhere, every person everywhere must hear the gospel. I'm going to come to you, but... I'm not even coming to stay. You guys are just going to be my, my base. And yeah. all of this is because Paul loves God. And for him, the message of the gospel, of what God has come to do for us, must be heard by all and sundry. So for him, that is where his, his, his indebtedness comes from. See, he's indebted to God who came to die for him. Mm -hmm. So his indebtedness to God transfers or translates to his indebtedness to the people of God. And I, I feel like that's, that should be our motivation as believers yeah. as well. When we look at what God has done for us, when we look at the gravity of the price he paid on the cross, mm. I think it should just spare us on to action, to spare us on to want to become better and to want others to come and share in the joy of the Lord. All right. So... So we've we've understood how important it is for us to to properly grasp why we're doing this and the things that God has done for us and to be to understand why we are indebted 
to God. And so just take some time to think about your motivation for serving God and for being Christian in the first place. And we'll be back with the rest of the Pope's. And we want to move on to the next thing if we don't have anything else to say. Yeah, I have I have a question. Okay. Um, so just just to sort of like wrap up on this uh, indebtedness that we are discussing. All right. Uh, if if I'm um, somebody who is in Christ, but I have not had a dramatic conversion story, um, and as a result, I lack the the same passion that people who have had such dramatic conversion stories have because they have a better appreciation of what God has done for them. How do I get there? You know, that, that, that is my, my thinking. What do I do to bring myself to that same level of passion and zeal uh, that results from my understanding of what God has done for me? Okay. Bethman, you need help for the church boy. Um, I think, first of all, like um, Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he lives because he lives based on the fact that he understands what Christ did for him, right? So I think it behoves on you to pay particular attention, meditate on it by church language. <laughs> okay, so by meditate, <laughs> I mean carefully consider, think through it, mm -hmm. give it your maximum attention about what it means for Jesus Christ, the God of all the year, to come and die such a most horrible, gruesome, humiliating death on your behalf. But um, I think there's a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. And okay. I think it should be a good prayer for you to pray as well. It says um, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, mm. that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Yeah. the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So it's, there is, there is a dimension of what Christ did for us that you can get if you carefully ponder, think through the scriptures. But like Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, for them to grow to a deeper level in their faith, he says, I'm praying that God will open your eyes to this thing, like that you may know why he called you, okay. that you may know what he has done for you, that yeah. you may know what is in store for you. So I think that knowing when your eyes are opened uh, leads you to want more from God and for God. Okay, so, so by praying and seeking that to understand and to appreciate. So if I get you right, so by, by praying um, and asking God for, an understanding of what he has done is 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 one way to get there. Yeah. Um, as you as you made as you rightly said, think over and ponder over these things, and you pray about it. God God can illuminate your your mind on the gravity of what he has done for you, and gives you gives you a better appreciation of what he's done, and from there flows the passion and the zeal and the love for God. Yeah, true. Great. And and your your passion doesn't have to look like someone else's passion. And again, like you said, God really works within our temperaments as well. Mm. Well, he can, he can always do more than that. But the fact that you are not taking over entire nations like, like Paul was, <laughs> doesn't mean that you are not passionate. 
Yeah. I mean, just this morning I was reading about Samuel, and Samuel's a really cool guy. Mm. So look, I relate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We like cool guys. <laughs> exactly. And 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 Samuel was still passionate about God and loved God, but he his passion is not like Paul's passion. But both of them understood what they were doing for God and why they were doing that, or why they were doing what they were doing for God. And so, don't be worried about someone else's passion or how they exhibit that passion. Just focus on what God has done and why you need to do more for Him. So we are moving on to another block, should I say, which is Paul's readiness. Now, what I like about Paul is that he 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 was ready for anything and everything. And from our perspective or your perspective, what do you think made him so ready to to face anything, no matter the outcome? Okay, I, I think that it, it flows from what we discussed earlier as the indebtedness. Um, a, lot, a lot of the things that we do and we are passionate about is because of one thing and one thing only, love. And um because Paul was so in love with God or or in love with what God had done for him, he he decided to um extend that same love to everybody else. And in doing that, he needed to prepare himself mm-hmm. and get himself ready for the task that was ahead. In fact, um when he was converted and he went to stay in Damascus. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ revealed himself to Ananias and said to him, go and go and pray for uh, Saul, right? And you you must, he, there's a work that I've set out for him to do. And he will go through a lot of, uh, how do you call it? I'm paraphrasing it, but he will go through a lot of uh, issues and struggles and persecutions yeah. and all that. So there was a work that God had prepared for him to do. And it, was going, it wasn't going to be an easy kind of work. But Paul having understood and having had a, a firm grasp on the magnitude of what God had done for him, he was he psyched himself and prepared himself. So uh, I think Bethman earlier mentioned that he went to Arabia, spent some time there. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew a lot. Mind you, Paul was a Pharisee already yeah. and, uh, and a rabbi. So he knew a lot about um, the, the Jewish faith and about the, the God of the Jews. Okay. However, um, that link between who the Messiah was and whether he was actually the man Jesus was lost on the Jews. And so he, spending time alone, was trying to connect the dots and preparing himself for the task that God has set for him. And that motivation comes from or stems from the love that he had for for God. Okay. Yeah. And I guess for me, my, my, my next question is, how do we get that ready? How do we get, because especially um, for us here in Ghana, mm. where it's almost comfortable to be Christian, it doesn't yeah. seem like we can, or we have to have some mindset of readiness for anything because in fact, when you're a Christian, in some circles, you, you are healed. Like when you when you have more information, when you're a rabbi like Bethmon, <laughs> yeah, very anointed, you are, you yeah. are healed. Call but your sofa. Exactly, prophets, man of God. Yeah, especially when, when, when if you have the prophetic, that's it. Shall I take it to everything? (laughs) But then you have places like um, China, where 
this message will be will be more real to them. But then it's something that we all face or may face. So how can we be ready even in in Ghana? What does what does readiness mean? I think um readiness looks like um being willing to do even the little things. So the readiness starts from your quiet time, your Bible studies. Mm -hmm. You read the scripture, it rebukes you, it tells you what to do right. You are ready to do it. Then then that that strength builds up with time because you have built momentum. Mm -hmm. And I I think when it comes to things, uh, spiritual things uh, and things of the feet, momentum is very important. Right. So the more you obey, you build that momentum and with time, when crazier things are required of you, mm. you already have built the momentum. Um, yeah. So like David, right? David wasn't just ready to kill Goliath in the spell of the moment. Mm. He was, he was ready for action because he, he had, he, he had experience from the wilderness. Mm-hmm. This guy has fought a bear. Yeah. He fought a lion. Mm-hmm. So he's ready to face a Goliath when a Goliath comes up. Okay. So the readiness comes in the little things. So we are ready to obey. We are ready to, to even spend time to read our Bibles. We are ready to pray. We are ready to um, overcome the little fear that we face. We are ready to overcome the shyness to go out and speak to a total stranger and tell him about the love of God and tell him about Jesus Christ. Until you can do these basic little things, you are not ready to die for God. Sometimes people want to move from zero to hundred real quick. <laughs> yeah. Lord, I'm ready to die for you. And all he's asking for you is to spend time with me. Like, yeah. Are you ready to do that? So I think the readiness comes with time. It is a process. Yeah. We need to start slowly, build momentum. And with time, we'll be able to take on the giant and say like, Paul, hey, I'm not just ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm ready to die. Every time I read that scripture, I'm like, hey, poor, <laughs> <laughs> hey, relax. I know, right? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's the, and, and you can, you can tell that it wasn't something that even came to Paul just in the moment. So he's blinded. He goes to a place. Jesus Christ comes, uh, sends Simon to come and pray for him. He's prayed for, he's told what to do next. He's told what to do next. And after following God for a while, I realized that mm, uh, in the words of this uh, popular song, God no go shame us. Exactly. Yeah. So he keeps he keeps going because he knows the one whom he serves. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so just to add a little bit, it, as we are looking at it in a broader context of mm-hmm. what 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 the attitudes, the the desires, and the proclivities of a disciple should be, um, readiness is 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 something that must start um from as a decision you must decide that okay i am going to be ready to do this yeah and from that decision fulfill all the other activities that you because if you don't determine to to um be ready then you will not do the things that will make you ready just like Batman i said mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be extravagant the little yeah. things your prayer here and there your study of the word, your consistency in studying, the, uh, having your quiet time and witnessing whenever the opportunity comes your way and all of those things. Those things will build you up um, and make you more ready for greater things. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's imperative that we, we emphasize that it is, it is an attitude that you must have of being ready. Okay. Um, 
sometimes even your preparation and your readiness will not come passively. Um, it will an opportunity will present itself, but because you probably do not have the attitude of readiness, you don't see that this is an opportunity for me to be even to build myself up and get and get myself in a place where I can be more effective. You, you get it, and maybe in the discipling process and all of that. Yeah. So you need to have that kind of mindset to help you to ready yourself. Okay. Mm. So just to make sure that we are all on the same page. So as a disciple, I'm supposed to be ready, ready to take on any challenge, no matter how big or small, mm-hmm. and ready to put God above all else. Exactly. Because I feel like Paul's readiness was also because he understood that there was there was so much more besides what he saw on earth. Because I really like things he the things that he says. For example, um, one of my one of my favorite scriptures that says that if only for this world we are we believe in Christ Jesus we are the most yeah, the, the most repeated. exactly yeah. because there's so much more and if it's only for this earth and I feel like sometimes it's just for this earth that we actually believe in God mm. it's for it's for the fact that you want to you want to be a millionaire who still has a clean heart and good conscience mm-hmm. you want to have you want to be able to land that fine girl in church. And that's why you are believing in God for that moment. Mm-hmm. But then if you know that it's not just for for that time, it's not just for us on earth, you're willing to get rid of all of these things. Because if you don't have these things, you are still comfortable because there's, there's so much more ahead. But it's not very easy to be ready, is it? No. Because it, no. I, I think the point in all of this is... Um, none of these things are easy nothing is easy True. none of these things are easy like but like um so to said it's an attitude mm-hmm. it is it is sort of a direction in which you have set your heart you remember mm. in our last episode like when i was talking about ezra i described his heart as like a heart that is set in concrete yeah right mm-hmm. so it's it's sort of like we set our attitudes in concrete like yes. this is the mode we are ready yeah so mm-hmm. The attitude is there, then it's like the task will come along the line. Yeah. So if it comes and it's difficult, yeah, it's difficult, but it doesn't make us less ready. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that should be the attitude. So now the the question you're asking yourself is not, will I do it? It is how do I overcome the difficulties? Because that's what they're doing. I'm ready to do. So I think that's that's uh, what we we should get out of the way. It's not like a hey, the thing is uh, an easy task and. Uh, Oh, like Paul saying, I'm going to die. Um, tra- Christian tradition has it that the guy was, he died by beheading, right? That's mm-hmm. another story for another day, mm-hmm. right? They couldn't crucify him like they did uh, Peter, Peter because Paul yeah. was a Roman citizen and they yeah. don't crucify Roman citizens. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it didn't make it any less easy. Uh, if you ask me to choose between crucifixion and I'm beheading, I won't choose any. Beheading is sharp. Beheading is sharp. I just it's don't want to die. Or die, or die, you die. <laughs> like, I, I'm not ready to die any form of painful death. But the way the Bible is set up, and the way the scripture is set up, and the way Christianity is set up, we must be ready for persecution. We must be ready to go out to preach the God. It's not an issue of whether I want to ask whether you want to put it aside. You must be ready. Yeah. And that's what we are talking about. Like putting yourself aside and being ready to do what the master says. I think one one day we should actually talk about martyrdom and all yeah. the 
all the people in a different ways they were yeah they were that, that, that'll, yeah. Be, that'll be a new uh, uh, an exciting thing uh, too um, yeah. but but when you just brought something to focus um whilst you were speaking and i, I with relation to readiness i think mm-hmm. that there's there are two um things that we need to look at um one that you just recently said um even re- referencing what i said earlier about it being an attitude mm-hmm. there's a the, the the posture of readiness okay where um it is that, that posture is not dependent on whether you feel like you are ready whether you have garnered enough knowledge or experience yeah. to be ready to do something that posture says it places places you in a place where you are just obedient so God gives an instruction and because of your posture of readiness, you respond to that instruction disregarding your own adequacies or inadequacies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, quick quick example, yeah. right? When um, Peter had fished all night and Jesus came to his boat and was like, let's give it a second try. Mm-hmm. Because from all his experiences mm-hmm. and everything he knows, the command did not make sense. Great. Right? Yeah. But his response was, because uh, you said, said it, it we will do, do it. Exactly. And, and I think that should be the attitude for readiness. Because yes. you said it, we will we do, do it. it. Yeah. Whether it makes sense or not. Whether okay. it's comfortable or not. Yeah, exactly. And the other one that I wanted to talk about was um, where you, have, you, make, <clears throat> you make a conscious effort to prepare yourself to be ready. And, and, and that is where you... you, you um, in Timothy, um, we, we admonish to, um, was it was, how does the scripture have been put it? To study yourself, to study to show yourself approved. Okay. Okay. So there's a work that you, you are being asked to do. Um, your response is to, is, I have a posture of readiness and so I'm obeying. Uh, but in doing that too, I need to prepare myself in some way. So there okay. are two things. So there's a posture of readiness that says, I don't care what state I am in, I am obeying. Okay. And then there's the other side where that requires you a deliberate preparation to, to bring you to a place where you can actually dispense the duties and the tasks that have been given to you. So those two things uh, are the things I want us to just uh, keep in mind when we talk, when we are thinking about readiness. So yeah. in terms of mindset, yes. you are ready. Yes. And in terms of your lifestyle, mm-hmm. your study, you are getting ready. Yes, exactly. For whichever work God exactly. has for you. So at, at, at some point in time, there'll be a convergence of your Beautiful. mindset and, and your then, ready, your attitude. Exactly. Yeah. And even every day, you have the opportunity to have that converge, right? Yeah. In in the daily obedience, like what you say. Yeah, yes. And that sort of builds you up for any bigger... In fact, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes we we so expect the bigger commandments that we miss the very little ones, the very little daily Mm-hmm. commandments we are we're expecting to hear well i'm getting ready maybe one day god will tell me to go to russia or or india yes i i think i we we are too because of our narcissistic nature we want the huge the, the biggest platforms available to us yeah. and we we want oh no but i mean i mean when when christ gives us the great commission and says that we should go out and make disciples of all the nations He's not saying that you should, by every means necessary, have a pulpit to do that. Mm. And a lot of Christians have said to themselves, I am not a pastor, mm-hmm. and so I can't do this. But that is not what God is, what Christ is telling us yeah. to do. Your friend in your classroom, if you're a student, your, your, your colleague at work, okay, even your sibling in the house with you, mm-hmm. how are you evangelizing or discipling them? 
you, you understand. So let's not uh, be too fixated on the platforms that are extravagant mm-hmm. and that the, the ones that will bring us the greatest limelight and the glory. No, but in the in the in our own little way, in our own corner somewhere, how do we uh, disciple people? Okay. okay. Yeah. And so I guess using using the example of the people right by us and mm. then the two aspects of readiness. So if your classmates is around, you are ready at any point in time, you can share the word. Yeah. And then while you are doing your quiet time, you're obeying God on a daily, you are preparing yourself, you are readying yourself mm. to actually um, evangelize to this person. So we, we don't have a lot of time. So we want to the last aspect. Unashamed. Unashamed. Mm-hmm. Shout out to to ICGC Legon Campus. <laughs> we are the Anastasian family. Thank you. So we'll do this very quickly. Hmm. In what ways are we ashamed of the gospel? I think examples. You see, um, I think the gospel has always been a very shameful, shameful <laughs> thing, because the like for. For Paul's day, um, sometimes we think, honestly, we think the ridicule that comes to the gospel is um, a 21st century thing, mm-hmm. quite recent. Yeah. But it's not like, sorry to bash your bubble. Mm. You're not that special. Like, yeah. it's something it's like, that they were facing back then. Mm. So for in Paul's day, these were people that were highly philosophical in their thinking. These mm. are people that, um, um, they, they reason to, I dare say they reason to things better than we do. Mm. in our in our time so yeah. for them for paul to walk into athens walk into into um rome and 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 people are these disciples and christians are coming proclaiming a savior a god of sorts mm. and this god died at the hands of men like mm-hmm. what, what kind of savior is that yeah, yeah. like w- what kind of savior dies <laughs> like because they are used to people like hercules they are used to zeus they are mm-hmm. they are used to the pantheon of gods the, these people have big achievements hercules mm-hmm. and his his various tours and battles and the rest and you present to us jesus who died like a mere criminal yeah. and you're saying that this guy is god yeah. this guy came to save me man you gotta be joking yeah right? it's, it's, it's foolishness to, to exactly to, to it's to foolishness to those who don't believe mm-hmm. yeah. and for us believers the message of the gospel hasn't still changed yeah. It still sounds stupid and foolish. So people ridicule us. Um, you are worshiping a strange God. You are doing this. You are doing that. And I think, um, the, the, for Paul, he understood the truth of the gospel. Uh, yeah. That it doesn't matter what people may be saying. I have tasted firsthand mm-hmm. of the change. That mm. comes from this gospel. And the only way we can be so firm and unashamed and become as resolute as Paul was, was is if we taste of the change and the transformation that comes with the gospel. That's what Paul says. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because in it is the power oh, of God. It is the power of God that brings that change. Yeah. In the gospel message, in the gospel narrative, in this in this for want of a better word, foolish mm. preaching, yeah. right? Is where all the change lies. Mm. And I am an evidence of the change that this foolish message br- uh, brings about. Yeah. I think in um, 
in Galatians, there's this line of scripture which I feel like most often uh, translators mistranslate. Mm. So Paul said that when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, most translations or some translations do it to me. Okay. Reveal his son to me. But for Paul, I believe Paul actually meant to reveal his son in me. That he, Paul, becomes a portrait of what the gospel does. Of how he was a persecutor, of how he was a rebel, of how he was that bad. And God is revealing what the gospel does with Paul as evidence exhibit, exhibit A. Okay. Right. Okay. And and for us, the, the way we can become that unashamed is if we taste of the gospel's transformation, become exhibit A, and go out and show the world. Let's see, we are not coming to you with device, uh, cunningly devised fables. We are coming to you with something that we have tasted of, we have experienced, and we are saying that try it. It will change your life. Yeah. yeah. I just want to quickly add that it's such a gift to believe in the gospel because come from someone who did not understand it from the beginning. Like unbelief is such a stumbling block. And and for someone who probably thinks about logical things, right? We want to, we want the thing to make sense. And someone comes to deliver the gospel to you. I'm thinking, which part, which part of this makes sense? Mm-hmm. How can people gather in churches and decide to serve a God like this? And so now that I've I have come to believe, right? I just I just see I just see believing as as such a gift. Like you you are in church and you can easily understand when the when the pastor says probably come and pray and something will get answered or have faith and a mountain will be moved like that's that's just amazing and i guess understanding that is the foundation of everything like you understand what god has done for you you are indebted you are ready and then you are unashamed but so you've not said anything so maybe this question comes to you so um for someone who is in an intellectual environment, let's say a class or, yeah, let's say a class, how, how should the person approach the gospel? Is there a different way? How should the person be, un- how can the person be unashamed of a gospel that we have already agreed that does not, in quotes, make logical sense? I think Paul is a very fantastic example of um, how to engage with intellectuals uh, on the gospel. So there's a story uh, of Paul in one of his uh, on one of his missionary journeys where he goes into this um how do they call it? Is it is it yeah, a Areopagus? Yes, an Areopagus. You know the word. <laughs> Areopagus, right? Where you have people um uh debating and engaging in philosophical conversations about gods. And then Paul sees um, uh, sort of like a, a monument that has to, to it written on it to the unknown God. And he starts from there mm-hmm. and says that this is that unknown God that your poets write about mm-hmm. is who I present to you today. So, um, and you engaging people intellectually, there is, there is always a path that God will pave out for you to approach it to approach that conversation Mm -hmm. okay and um you don't need to be intellectual in quotes to have that conversation because the bible says concerning um the disciples when jesus left and then they started speaking Mm -hmm. and 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 sharing the gospel 
the the the, the Pharisees uh, who were in the Sanhedrin would hear them speak, and would say that well, how are these men? These these men were unlearned, right? These yeah. were these are these are fishermen and and people who didn't who are not Pharisees, mm-hmm. right? How come they are speaking with so much authority? They are speaking like they they, they have been with Christ. Mm-hmm. You understand so and 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 he says to them the holy spirit says to them do not think about yeah. what you will say when you are before these people but in the moment i'll put my words in your mouth to speak you understand uh-huh. okay. so um there there is there is what you what your um your training and your temperament and your your intellectual capacity allows you to, to do mm-hmm. and then there is the aspect where your inadequacies are supplemented by God's adequacy. Lovely. Yes. So we've been talking about Paul to try and understand the hearts we should have as disciples, know that we need to be indebted, ready, and unashamed. Final words, guys. Because we have to go. Um, okay, so I'll just close with some f- finishing ideas on... Um, where we solo just ended. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, had a famous quote. Um, I, if I remember correctly, he said, God put enough facts into the world mm-hmm. to make believing in him a logical thing. Mm-hmm. But he left just enough out so that we don't live on logic or reason alone. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think the gospel, to some extent, can be reasoned out. Mm-hmm. Right? But then at a certain point, based on the evidence you might have to take the leap of faith yeah. but faith is not a belief in nothing that's that's one of the things that sometimes i like to correct it is it is a belief based on a certain level of evidence uh-huh. and based on that evidence you must make a conclusion so most people run away from that jump but we take those decisions all the time like sitting on a chair you look at the chair you examine the legs you then you make a judgment call based on these facts when i sit on the chair to support my weight same way when you examine the facts of the gospel right you have to make a judgment call Mm. and uh, our prayer and our hope is that anyone who hears the message of the gospel would make the right judgment call to submit their life to the lordship of jesus christ as he cleanses you and uh, washes you and takes away your sin and leads you to a more abundant life a life where he makes you truly human and makes you better than you actually were. All right. Uncle Solo. Yeah, so um, concluding on um, the unashamed thing, um, I think that we, what we, we classify or we think to be shameful, all right, God says that, or we find out in the scripture that it is the power of God to save um what makes it shameful um that shame is defined by the world mm-hmm. okay and um since we are not of the world we ca- we should not um take upon ourselves the definition of the world True. for the gospel okay so the world does not understand what we know and so they will ridicule us and they will shame us but we, we need to understand that what they do, they do out of ignorance. 
and we must bring to them the light that will cast away their ignorance. And so let's let's not also um, uh, inherit um, shame from the world. Rather, let us uh, be resolute in knowing that this gospel that we have is the power of God unto salvation. Yeah. And it is what is going to bring the light that the ignorant do, uh, the ignorant that are in darkness need to bring them into the light. So yes, let, let's, let's not, uh, how do you call it, uh, imbibe or import shame from the world. Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you very much, Uncle Solomon. And thank you to our Bible rabbi. <laughs> and thank you for listening. And for me, I just pray that the next time we see you, sort of, that you'd be that indebted, ready, and unashamed disciple. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to Between the Lines by The Timothy Project. The Timothy Project is a crowdfunded discipleship ministry that seeks to train and disciple young believers, presenting them perfect to Christ. What we do here is made possible by your generous gifts and donations. If you've been blessed and seek to support us, you can find our giving options in the description below. Keep tabs on our website for exciting blog posts. You can also interact with us on our social media handles in the description below. The Timothy Project, presenting every man perfect. <music>